That was so great. Kids, thank you so, so much for being our star actors and actresses. Parents, thank you for uh, being camera people and, and directing. Um, Rachel, thanks for, for producing and, and putting that all together. And Ben, for his creativity and editing skills that just made that all happen. It was a real, real team effort. And uh, so much to be learned and such a great introduction to our theme of this morning of unbelievable victories. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and as we think about unbelievable victory, there's there's so many facets of Jesus' resurrection that we could look at and say that's un, unbelievable. We think about overcoming death. We think about the fact that the victory at Easter is ours by way of a gift. There's nothing that we can do. That's an obstacle that we couldn't overcome. It's a gift from Jesus to us. We think about the peace that comes as a result of that victory of peace with God. And, and maybe the most unbelievable aspect for, for some of us is the fact that a Jewish rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago bodily rose from the dead. Dude was legit dead for three days, got up, walked around, talked to people, ate, people touched his hands, and he was really alive. Even just one of those things could render the idea of Easter and resurrection unbelievable. But they're all true, and they're all just reasons why we should celebrate, why we can celebrate and remember Easter. And we should treat every day like it's Easter, but we give this special day, so we um, we make it a point to to celebrate the risen, the risen Jesus. And the other half of that is we call it victory. And there are some of us who could be sitting here this morning thinking, victory? How are, we, how are we talking about victory when basically the world is on pause and we are in the middle of a pandemic? Well, <clears throat> no matter what is happening around us, there is no one or no thing that can put Jesus back in the grave. And that brings us to our big idea for this morning. And that's regardless of our circumstances, the unbelievable victory of Jesus cannot be taken away. Jesus is still free from the grave. And this idea of Jesus' victory is one that goes all the way back to the beginning. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. And I'm going to retell tell you the story pretty quick so we can understand the why, why Easter is so significant and why it's so important. In the very beginning, God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was beautiful. Adam and Eve had everything that they could need. And it wasn't just utilitarian. It was, it was gorgeous. It was pleasing to the eye. And it was there for them. God gave them one, one, thou shalt not. See that tree over there? That one in the middle? Don't eat from it. So there was also lurking in the garden, the serpent. And biblically, the, the serpent represents evil. And the serpent got in Adam and Eve's ears and he began to whisper to them. And he began to say things to them that um, made them think that God was holding out on them that God was lying to them, um, that there wouldn't really be consequences for disregarding God, wouldn't be all that, all that significant. And you know what? Those same whispers affect us today, just like they did Adam and Eve in the garden. We get affected. Um, we think that maybe God is holding out on us. He's not being, being truthful with us. We see our children suffer. Um, we have relational strife and um, just bad stuff. We're in the middle of 
of a pandemic and we think that God is holding out, he's lying to us, that he's not really all that good. Um, we think that we know better than God. This book that we teach from, the Bible, is thousands of years old, right? It's outdated. It doesn't matter anymore. We, we think that, well, we have science and technology now. So God is like, that's mythology. We don't, we don't really, we don't really need God anymore. Um, and we, we, we don't want anyone to, to tell us, to tell us what to do. And we, we still disregard the consequences that are natural consequences. And we disregard the fact that, um, God set the universe in place with rhyme and reason and structure and, and boundaries. So just like, we are tempted by that stuff. We fall victim to that stuff. It all started because Adam and Eve gave in and they took that fruit from that one tree, that one thou shalt not. When I would teach this to middle schoolers and high schoolers, I would put out a huge spread of food, any whatever kind of food that middle schoolers and high schoolers were into. Um, and then right in the middle, I would put a huge bowl of M&Ms and a sign on it. Do not touch. And inevitably, there were a bunch of middle school and high school hands grabbing the, the things. Um, that one thing in the middle that that is just so tempting that that we are drawn to. And um, there are there are consequences. There are consequences for that. When Adam and Eve took that fruit and they ate from it, um, the fabric of the universe was torn, and um, sin entered the world. And as a result of of sin coming into the world. Things like relational struggle and illness and death and war and natural disasters, they, um, their choice brought that into, into the world. And we, we bear the weight of that, the consequence of that. Most significantly, though, mankind's direct relationship with Jesus is broken and um, it's severed and it's separated. And mankind is unable to bridge that gap on, on our own. There were also consequences for the, for the serpent. We read in Genesis 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. God tells the serpent that you're going to um, crawl on your belly, and you're going to eat dirt. And ultimately, ultimately, the woman's offspring, Jesus, and you and I, through Jesus, are going to defeat the serpent. We're going to crush his head under our heel. Yes, he will strike at our heel, and he will experience smaller victories along the way. But the unbelievable ultimate victory is ours in and through Jesus. Right from the very beginning, God sets out the idea that he wins. In the text, Adam and Eve um, God deals with Satan before he talks to Adam and Eve. So even before, right, uh, God explains the consequences to Adam and Eve of their actions, he lays out the fact that even in my judgment, there is hope. In my judgment, there is mercy. In my judgment, there is love. God says, I will take care of this. I will bring about, I will bring about the victory. This, this arc, this narrative arc, we see throughout the Bible, um, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, these reminders of Jesus and us through Jesus crushing the head of the serpent, bringing about bringing about victory. And I want to run through just a couple of them really quick. And this first one is kind of the, the linchpin for all of it, is Jesus's victory through his resurrection. For what I received, I passed on to you as 
first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, that, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Jesus rose from the grave in, um, in ancient Israel. He rose from the grave, and he appeared to people, and he had conversations with people. The tomb was empty, and Jesus was walking around, hanging out with people. And this is, this is the crux of it all. This is the thing we need to get our brain around, that this is as, um, as historically reliable a fact as we have from this time period. Any of the Caesars, any of the ancient works of literature, this is just as well preserved as any of those. Um, a New Testament scholar, a guy by the name of N.T. Wright, some people consider him the best, the greatest New Testament scholar um, alive today. He explained it this way. You can't explain how they, the disciples, came to say what they said about Jesus and his resurrection, came to say what they said unless there were both several sightings of and meetings with someone they took to be Jesus, alive again, and, and an empty tomb where he had been. Without the first, they would have said the grave had been robbed. Without the second, they would have known it was a hallucination. They know as much about those as we do. But if both occurred, how do we explain them? All other explanations fail to account for the reality of what they said and the change in their lives and their sense of call, which can't, by the way, be rubbished by likening it to Jones or Koresh. Read the book of Acts and compare and contrast with that sort of stuff. N.T. Wright is English, thus you get to throw the word rubbish in there. Um, the change in the apostles' life as a result of interacting with the risen Christ was literally earth-changing. They turned the course of history through Jesus' resurrection and what they came to believe about him. They, shaped, they changed the shape of history. Jesus' initial victory, his resurrection from the dead, um, opens the door for us to participate with him in those victories. Romans chapter 16, verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So this is an, an allusion back to Genesis 3.15. But God says that Jesus opened the door for these victories. And when we come into relationship with Jesus, we also get to share in these victories. Yes, like I said, Satan is going to nip at our heels and we're going to feel the result of evil. And sometimes it's going to be traumatic and sometimes it's going to be heartbreaking. But through the power of Jesus, he will be crushed under our feet. And ultimately, when all is said and done, just like God said at the beginning, he has the last word. He wins. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's what it says in the, in the book of Hebrews. His resurrection, his unbelievable victory over death opens the door for us to trade death for life. And when we do that, we get to participate in the little victories along the way. And when it's all said and done, Jesus wraps it all up and he defeats evil because he rose from the dead. We know he's going to be good on his word to come back and finally put an end 
to evil and pain and, and suffering. Because of the unbelievable resurrection of Jesus, there's a couple things that we can be sure of. In spite of our circumstances, God is in control, right? The, the um, theological word is sovereign. All the way back to Genesis 3.15, God had a plan, a plan to ensure his, his victory. God can be trusted. <clears throat> God is in control. He sets this up, and he lets us know throughout the Bible, we hear from the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible. We hear from the prophets. We hear in the in the book of Psalms, and we hear from Jesus himself about what is going to happen. They, they prophesied, they predicted that there would be a Messiah who would come and that he would suffer and he would die and he would rise again and that he will come back. And just one, one quick example of that from the book of Isaiah, written hundreds of years before Jesus, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And we have that promise. We have that promise that we can trust and we can know that God is in control and all will be made new because Jesus rose from the dead in his unbelievable victory, regardless of what is going on around us. We can look forward to a day where there will be no more tears. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more lost children, no more relatives that are hurting. Um, we won't, death will no longer be a thing because Jesus trades. He takes our death upon himself and he gives us new life. He gives us resurrection. So how do we, how do we join the winning team, right? How do we participate in the victory of, of Jesus? The first thing I wanted to remember all the way back to when I first started is that this is a gift, right? This is a lifelong invitation to accept the gift of Jesus. And that's all we have to do is accept this gift, this gift of his unbelievable victory. And how we go about that is the first thing is we we admit that we have um, we've fallen victim to those lies, right? The, the whispers in our ears that we um, we come before God and we say, God, we're, tr we're tired of trying to do your job. We're tired of living, um, living life seemingly without purpose. We're tired of hurt. And we're just, we're so sorry for the ways that we've hurt you and we've hurt other people. Will you please forgive me? We admit that we need God's help and we need his forgiveness. We believe and the things that the Bible says about Jesus, the things that he said and did, the things that he still says and does. We believe those in our heart in such a way that it transforms us from the inside out and it changes the way that we act. So much so that we commit our lives. Everything that we have, we go from living for ourselves to living like the resurrection of Jesus is real like it really happened because it did really happen that unbelievable victory is ours and jesus offers it to us as a gift so i'm gonna um give you a, a couple of seconds here just to think through some of the stuff think through the ideas of victory and maybe you're at a point in your life that you're tired of of feeling like you've been on a losing team you're tired of the pain and the suffering and not knowing how how you can go another another day and maybe 
maybe it's time for you to accept that gift that Jesus has for you. So in a little bit, I'm just going to leave some, Ben's going to be playing in the background. There's going to be some images that roll by with these words on them. You accept the gift. You admit that you need God's forgiveness. You believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior of the universe and commit your ways to him. You can pray those things. Um, at the end of these slides, after they run for a little bit, I'm going to say a prayer, something similar to that, that incorporates that stuff. And you can pray it alongside in your heart. And then um, we will uh, we'll move on from there. But just take a few minutes and reflect on the idea of the gift of Jesus' unbelievable victory. Hey, so if do me a favor. If you guys prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time, in that prayer request box, go ahead and, and let us know that you did that. And we can get in touch with you. And, and there's some really just practical next steps um, to take that you can continue to experience the unbelievable victory in the um, just in, in, in every day, in everyday life. And I want to close up our time um, by telling you, uh, relating to a biblical account of uh, two people who had an interaction with the resurrected Jesus. This account happened um, towards the end of the day on that first Easter Sunday. Jesus was out. The tomb was empty. Um, and there were two travelers walking along the road. And it says this. This is in uh, the Gospel of, of Luke. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. In the original language that kept from recognizing him, there was something powerful that had a hold on these two people that they were walking um, with inappropriate social distancing. They were close to each other um, and they still couldn't recognize Jesus. There was something powerful. It doesn't say whether it was supernatural, um, but I, I tend to think that it was their circumstances, that they had just um, gone through a little bit less than 72 hours of, of just total devastation. Their, their friend, their teacher, their promised Messiah was murdered and died and put in a tomb. And now they, now they hear that he has been resurrected, that he's not in the tomb anymore, uh, that he's up and and walking, he's up and walking around. But um, we are all in the middle of being held by an incredible force, just like those two travelers where their circumstances, um, I think, perhaps kept them from, from, seeing, from seeing Jesus. And I want to um, encourage you with this idea. Don't let your circumstances be your focus to fix, to fix your eyes on Jesus. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we can continue to walk in, in victory. And the, the account continues that it was getting close to dark. The two travelers said to Jesus, you know, join us for dinner. Um, you don't want to, you don't want to keep walking in the dark. So Jesus sat down with them and he um, proceeded to share a meal with them. And these guys, it, it sounds like these guys were part of what we now call the last supper or were at least aware of it. Um, and, Jesus sat with them and broke bread, just like he did during that, that last supper. And when he broke bread, their eyes were opened, and they, they recognized that it was Jesus. And it's this account. Um, it's called The Road to Emmaus. Uh, I think the scripture reminds us to um, 
encourages us to celebrate something that we call communion. We eat something and we drink something that's representative of Jesus' sacrificed body and his shed blood for us, right? And we do that to help fix our eyes back on Jesus, to take our thought off of our circumstances of what's going back around us. And we fix our eyes back on Jesus with these tangible, tangible reminders. So um, hopefully you have your your communion elements ready. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to celebrate communion and um, hopefully as a as a time to refocus ourselves on on Jesus.